Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, The Love and Dating Guru with Dr. Den, an industry expert. I'm very excited about this show as it will bring new insight to our many listeners about the dating challenges in the 21st century and the do's and don'ts when seeking your soulmate. Everything you need or want to learn about the how-tos of dating and relationship will be discussed here. How to avoid being put into friend zone after the first date, being catfished, conned, or getting scammed, and so much more will be covered in this podcast. Toxic relationship can cause strife, breakup, or divorces. Infidelity, trust issue, trouble finances can contribute to these challenges. Guests appearing on our show are experts in, in this industry, sharing their insight about what you can encounter in any stage of dating, getting into relationship, and whatever else comes next. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in relationship, marriage counseling using the EFT method, and post-divorce strategies when transitioning back into a single life. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our official website is metalifecoach.online. Today, I'm very excited to have for a fourth episode of Season 5, a very special guest and recovery sex addict, Dan Harari. And just like my previous episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Dan, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Dan. I appreciate you having me on. You know, like I said before, us Dan's got to stick together. You know, That is so true. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Daniel, Danny, it's a great name. I, I was always very happy my parents called me Daniel and Danny and Dan. It was, it's, a, it's a solid name. You know? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Dan Harari. I live and work in Beverly Hills, California. I've been a Hollywood publicist for 40, almost 40 years. Uh, I've been very blessed that I've had a very successful career in the entertainment industry. Uh, I've worked with many, many, probably hundreds of very, very famous people during my career. I've worked for Columbia Picture Studios. I worked for the American Film Institute. I worked for some very large PR firms in Hollywood. Uh, I've had my own company for 27 years. And, uh, you know, I've worked with, with everyone from Steven Spielberg to Jay Leno to Jerry Seinfeld to Sid Caesar to Milton Berle to uh, Anne Margaret, Jack Black, just so many. Really, it's, it's kind of kind of fun, interesting and weird because, you know, I, I came out to L.A. 1980, I was only 24. I had no money. Dr. Dan, I had no money, no connections, no car. And it took me about a year, year and a half to get my feet established. And then within a short period of time, I was Hugh Hefner's publicist at the Playboy Channel. Oh, wow. Janu January 84, I was the first ever publicist for the Playboy TV channel. And of course, I had just gotten married. So my timing was terrible because... I was in love with my wife. I just got married, but I was meeting all the centerfold naked girls. <clears throat> I met all of them in real life. They would come in my office to get T-shirts and hats and and and, and sit in, the, in my couch with their miniskirts, driving me mad. And my wife would call and say, which girl is in there with you? I know you got one of those. Every, every single time, Dr. Dan, my wife called when one of those playmates was in my office. She just knew. Oh, anyway, so uh, that's my career. Um, last year I became an author. My first book came out last summer called Flirting with Fame. And that's the story of my career in Hollywood. 
and all the many celebrities I've worked with, stories behind the scenes, pictures of me with a lot of very famous people. That's my first book. Uh, today, we're here really to talk about my second book and, and my experiences as a sex addict. My book is called Carrots, True, True Confessions of a Hollywood Sex Addict. There it is. See the guy chasing, see the, guy chasing the girl right there? Yes. Okay, so that, that, that was me. That was me throughout most of my life, Dr. Dan. This is me. And these are the women that I've desired most of my life. It says it all, that picture right there. Great cover. Very uh, descriptive of uh, your own personal life. Right. So, um, as, okay, so I'm trying to find a good way to come in here. I didn't know I was a sex addict until I was in my 50s. Okay. I will be 67 next month. I'm very, uh, I'm very old. I'll be 67 soon. In my 50s, when my children, I have two grown children, when they were in college, they both were in college at the same time. So, boy, talk about money, right? Mm -hmm. I used to go college at the same time. That was not easy. Uh, but during that era, I was just sort of pretty much an out-of-control sex addict. Um, I would have call girls and prostitutes coming to my house uh, anywhere from one to three times a week. I would go to strip clubs and get lap dances and things a few times a month. Um, there were there was a place in near North Hollywood that had beautiful uh, women who would strip uh, for men. In in there's no glass or there's no partition. They would strip for you, and a man could sit on a, on a couch and masturbate in front of a, a, a beautiful girl. And, and so it was an interactive experience. Um, I did all those things concurrently with dating real women, okay? So, so that's why it's kind of an interesting phenomenon for me. I was married for 11 years. I had a lot of girlfriends. I've had a lot of sex with normal, right? Normal. But for me, because I, I, I guess because of my childhood, and I can't that in a minute, but you know, regular, normal sex with nice, normal, warm, loving women, it wasn't enough for me. I needed, you know, to F. I needed to F. I needed to, like, have sex as though I were in, in a porn film. For me, because it, it was like, it was like anger and hostility. And, you know, I'll show you. And, and, and it was just my relationship to sex and women was very... Um, Objectified women to me were were I objectified them. I see. Now, do you feel uh, then that um, based on your past, uh, it must have stemmed from childhood. Was there any anger that you had towards uh, women or uh, mother figure that made you feel that this is you want to kind of have revenge from of any sort? Well, my, I blame my addiction on several several things that happened to me. As in childhood, all of this stems to childhood. When I was very young, uh, there were a few incidents that happened between me and little girls in my neighborhood mm -hmm. that were very upsetting. For example, um, I, one day I was five years old playing with a little girl next door. She was seven. So I was five. She was seven. We were just running around. And then she said, let's go in the bushes and take off our clothes. Whoa. And I said, what? And she goes, yeah, let's just, it'll be fun. So we go behind these bushes at her house 
she takes off her clothes and I'm standing there and I'm five, five years old and I'm shaking. My son is five years old. So, I mean, almost five. So I could just imagine. Imagine, right? Yes. So here's the best part, Dr. Dan. As this is happening, I literally still could remember feeling, saying to myself, what is she doing? Why is she doing that? This is kind of weird, right? Her mother opens the bushes like Moses parts the Red Sea, like literally her little Italian mother parts, sees what's going on and screams at me, you little pervert, you pathetic little jerk pervert. How dare you? What are you doing to my daughter? I'm five years old. What could I be doing to her daughter? Really? Well, my clothes were out. My clothes were out. Okay. So she took me, I remember Dr. Dennis, she took me by the ear and pulled me to my mother's house, screamed and screamed at my mother, keep your son away from my daughter. I'm five years old. Okay. Talk about a trauma. Yes. There were several other events like that that happened when I was a kid. Third grade, I was chasing a girl around at the schoolyard. Third grade. Think up. You think you're nine, third grade? Chasing a girl around the schoolyard. She ran into a fence, broke her tooth, her adult tooth. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't push her. I didn't throw her. I didn't trip her. She just was running away from me. She ran into a fence, broke her tooth in half. Adult tooth looked at me and said, look what you did to me. And I remember how, how angry her father was. Her father saw me at a baseball game and looked at me like he wanted to kill me. I did nothing. I didn't push her. I didn't kick her. I didn't make her break her tooth. She broke her tooth. And she goes, look what you did to me. Yes. So there are many, and they're in my book, Carrots. But there are many odd, let's just call them odd, peculiar interactions I had with little girls as a child. That's one group of things. Um, now we come to my parents. I had very intelligent, very accomplished parents. And they were, they were hypersexual, Dr. Dan, you know. They were very sexual beings. I would hear them having sex for years and years in the room next to me. I, I was the oldest son, so I had the middle room. My brothers had the other room. I was near my parents, so I would hear them having sex for years, which was very disturbing and, and, and odd and, and um, discomforting, you know? Like, okay, that's cool. You know, I'm glad you're in love, but, like, I don't really need to hear you go, oh, my God, you know, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm, I'm like 12, 13, 14. Yeah, I don't really need to hear that. Yeah, traumatic experience, I would say. <laughs> right? So that was a tra traumatic experience for many, that lasted for many years. Uh, the next thing is my mother, God bless her, she's still alive. She's 88 now. My mother was a classic narcissist. Oh. She, everything. All right, so there was... My mother, my father, me, and two brothers. So there were four men, one and one woman, her. And everything in that house was about her, right? She was the, 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 she was the peacock in there. And she was an actress and a singer. So she'd be singing in the house and dancing around and smoking her cigarettes and talking on the phone to her friends for hours and hours. She'd be burning, burning dinner. You know, she always, my father said, he goes, I divorced your mother because I couldn't, I couldn't eat one more burnt hamburger because I had enough burnt hamburgers. My mother was this larger than life character. She was also very attractive. She had big boobies, as did all of her friends. I mean, I used to fantasize about my mother's friends. God, she had beautiful blonde friends. My mother had dark hair, but all of her friends had blonde hair and blue eyes. So my mother was a narcissist. Now, she was a good parent. 
right? She took me to school. She took me to play the drums. I was a drummer in bands. She took me wherever I needed to go. She got me whatever I needed. But I didn't feel a warm love connection with my mother. I had that with my father. My father was an electronics engineer for the government, brilliant man, very soft-spoken, very quiet. But my brothers and I, and this happened to all three of my, all myself and my two younger brothers, where we all became sex addicts later in life. Oh, yeah. interesting. So it's not just you that suffered from this predicament. You would say that, so were your parents also sex addicts or they were hypersexual? How would you distinguish both? I would say they were hyper, <clears throat> I would say they were hypersexual. I will say this, my dad used to hit on all my mother's friends. Okay. And he actually did hit on one who said, yeah, you get divorced, I get divorced, let's get married. And that became his second wife. My dad was very, he, my dad had to have a woman in his life. Okay, my dad went from his mother to my mother <clears throat> to his second wife, three women, never had a day in between. His mother, my mother, second wife, never had a day without a woman. I, I've gone years. <laughs> I've gone years without a woman. Uh, uh, women are nice. They compliment me sometimes. And otherwise, I'm like, okay, I have my own life. Yeah. And my dad was very, very female dependent. And my dad was a horny, a horny bastard. He was a horny <laughs> man. He was a very horny man. May he rest in peace. So, um, okay. And, so, that the big, here's the biggest thing that happened to me, and it's very unfortunate. I discovered when I was 40 years old that I had had clinical depression from the age of 15 till the age of 40. Clinical chemical depression. I was depressed every single day of my life for 25 years. You're, and I, you know those old reel-to-reel -reel tape, tape recorders? And so in my head, Dr. Dan, in the back of my head, it was, you know, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're no good, women don't like you, you're a loser. Um, you'll never have sex. All you do is masturbate. Women don't want to be with you. Uh, you're ugly. You have you have a pimple. You're so stupid. Even though I was a straight A student, top of my class, I was a drummer in rock bands. I had long hair. I had a million friends. I was people looked up to me because I was a gifted drummer in in bands. But I had negative tapes for 25 years. Now when I met a psychiatrist and i wish i had met you when i was 15 but i met a psychiatrist when i was 40. he said why are you here i said doctor i'm about to turn 40. i've been unhappy my whole entire life i said to him i literally cannot smile i can't smile my face won't make a smile it just I, I i have a good job i have kids that i love i cannot smile i, I can't do it he, i told him my life story he goes dan he leans forward he goes, I am so impressed with you, Dan. He goes, you've been a, a clinic. You've had clinical depression your entire life, and it's been untreated. He goes, you're like someone with diabetes who never had insulin. Yeah, that's that's quite amazing. But hold on, but being in the in the entertainment industry, Dan, how did you cope with being around so many people, so many famous people, uh, working with Steven Spielberg and all the others, but yet kept a happy face? I know it. You could say the same for Robin uh, Robin Williams, that he was very depressed, committed suicide, but yet he was making people happy and smiling and laughing, but yet he suffered from severe depression. So how did you cope with all that? How did you juggle your life with all of those factors that made you depressed, but yet at the same time, you had to show a straight face, kind of like always be 
around people, making them, uh, you know, bringing their public relation up high. And also, what was your, what did you do exactly? That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. That's a wonderful question. Um, professionally, okay, so, damn, without to I'll go back to school. I was a straight A student in school, right? My whole life. I was depressed and I got straight A's. I can, I'm, I'm, I think the doctor called me a high functioning depressor. I could function. I did great in school. Um, career wise, if I had a job, if I went to a party and I'm, I'm with Bob Hope and, and Milton Burrow and Steve Allen and, and B. Arthur and, and, and all these famous people, I would just sort of kick in like, okay, you know, beyond, Dan, you know, like beyond now. Uh, so I could, I could kick my own ass. I could kick my own ass to be lighthearted and goofy. And, and I was very funny. I was like a class clown, too. Um, but at home, sad and miserable. And my depression mostly kicked in when I wanted to approach a beautiful woman for a relationship or sex. That's why this cover is so apropos. I, would, I grew up on Playboy magazines, all right? So for me, from the age of 13, 14, Sex was played jerking off the Playboy magazine. Mm -hmm. And then when real girls and real women came along, I'm like, oh, she's nice. She's cool. She's my friend. She's my friend. You know, she's way too beautiful for me. Or, or, or her, bo her boobs are way too big. She would never want to go out with me. There was a girl in high school who was madly in love with me. And I, I, I put her in the friend zone because I was terrified. I was terrified of, of, of sex and, and cross. I couldn't cross. I had lots of girls in retrospect, and there, it's in the book. Lots of women were saying, hey, you know, you want to hang out. You want to do this. I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed now. I'll, I'll just jerk off to my magazine and go to sleep. So, I, so between the narcissistic mother, the depression, and the weird things that happened to me as a child, the traumas, when I became older, Oh, okay. This is very important. I told the psychiatrist at 40, I said, he goes, how's your love life? I go, well, I just masturbated. He goes, of course you do. He goes, when you have an orgasm, that's your serotonin in your brain. That's true. He goes, he goes, Dan, he goes, you have probably like very little to no serotonin. That's why you masturbate. I, he goes, I would masturbate too. And I'm like, wow. That's why I became sort of a masturbation addict as, as a teen, was to create serotonin in my own brain. So, so that's the origin. Then from the age of 25 to 36, I was married. So I, I met a very cute blonde girl. I got married. I had two kids. We were very happy for a while. Along the way, her health turned. She developed Epstein-Barr syndrome. Oh, yes. Okay. And she got very, very ill. And then she gained a lot of weight. She was very sick for years. And then, and then she had back problems and knee problems. She had every surgery. You know, so I'm working at the Playboy Channel, man. Yeah. I'm surrounded by the prettiest girls literally in, in America are in my office flirty with me. And I go home and my wife is hooked up to an IV. Because she has Epstein Barr, she's pale and she can't swallow water. And that these are all true stories. That went on for quite a, quite a few years. So my my life with women and sex has always been a dichotomy. 
of, of here it is, here's what you want, you want what you want right here. Well, I can't quite get it. I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to navigate to get that. Um, so before my wife, I was just a masturbation addict, let's call it. With my wife, okay, 11 years. I'm very glad that, that happened. We got divorced. We made two great kids. Uh, she said to me, you know, you don't love me anymore. We should go our separate way. She said, Dan, you need to be with more women. You weren't with many women before me. I go, really? I go, thank you. I said, thank you. I started crying. I said, thank you for letting me out of jail. I started crying, literally crying. And then so from age of 36 to 56, those 20 years, uh, hardcore sex addiction. Yes. That's the strip. That's now, now I'm making real money in Hollywood. So that's the you know, $400, $500 a night. Call girls, gorgeous, coming to my house, every shape, size, color. Uh, somewhere along the way, a, a Russian uh, madam, I don't even know how to I don't remember. A Russian madam got my phone number and said, Dad, my name is Christina. I know you like pretty girls. I go, yeah. She goes, I have hundreds of pretty girls. And she would call me every Friday, Dr. Dan, for years. She goes, hi, it's Christina. What kind of girl would you like tonight? I go, well... I had a redhead last week. <laughs> so like kind of, it was like, like ordering. It was literally like ordering a pizza. I said, "Give me a short, cute brunette with big boobs." Okay. An hour later, the prettiest girl you ever saw in your life is ringing my doorbell. Wow. And and that went on for years. Every Friday night, Christina would call me. I'm like, "How about two blondes? Uh, you know, long blonde hair, blue. Eyes. Okay, whatever. I was ordering a pizza, like mushrooms and pepperoni." Wow, wow, wow. That's that, that's something very unique. But so when did you decide or when you went to the doctor and you said that you were a high functional um depressive, did did you when he told you that you were clinically depressed, did you start taking medication or just continued? Oh, uh, great question. Uh Dr. Dan Prozac saved my life. Okay. He gave me liquid Prozac. Because actually, I remember that my mother had just started to take liquid Prozac as well. I mentioned it to him. He goes, great idea. I only take eight milligrams, and I've been taking it every day since 40. So that's 27 years. Okay. I only take eight milligrams of liquid. It's very small dose. I've tried to take 10 or 20 milligrams. If I take more than eight, I get severe headache, and I can't even think. But eight, and this is interesting, my daughter, last year, she's 33, she had very bad depression, and I was scared. I thought she was going to commit suicide. And I told her, try eight of Prozac, and my daughter takes eight, and it changed her life as well. In my mother's family, I didn't know this until I was 40, my mother, her sister, her sister, her mother, me, uh, my, my youngest brother, my nephew, and my daughter, right, all have, have clinical depression. We all take medication. So it ran rampant through my mother's family, and I didn't know sure. that until I was 40 years old. So do you think that the, okay, so now here's a question. I know it could be very clinical in that aspect, uh, Dan, but do you think that after taking the liquid Prozac, your desire for sex went down? Because, you know, obviously that must have had somewhat to balance out a chemical in your brain that the desire to wanting to fulfill something that was missing in your life due to the depression was now fulfilled by taking the medication. So do you think anything changed in your desire to wanting to have, to wanting to have more sex? 
Great question. And believe it or not, the exact opposite happens. When, once I became, I, I took with the Prozac, I remember for the first five or six days, I took it, nothing, nothing, five, six days. I woke up on day six. I looked in the mirror and I was smiling. I was smiling. And I said to myself, you're Dan, you're smiling? And I, Dr. Dan, the tape, the negative tape in my head, it turned off. In fact, it's never come back, thank God. It, it turned off. From there, I became incredibly outgoing with women, with women. Okay. I had more sex at, after, I, after I became undepressed. I had the best sex in my life. I was meeting women left and right. Because part of my depression created an intense shyness with women, intense shyness. I would go to a party or a dance or a bar, see a beautiful girl and go, I, I got to talk to her, got to talk to her. And then the other half, me, can't do it, can't do it. You're ugly, you're ugly. She's taller than you, but okay. her boobs are way too big. She's way too pretty. For Out you. of your league. <laughs> so once my Prozac kicked in, I could go to any girl anywhere I was. And say, hey, you're you're pretty, you're cute. Can I buy you a drink? Can we dance? And I was getting laid left and right. And 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 good sex, good erections. Um, um, I could I could uh, I could have sex. Not uh, believe it or not, uh, three to five times a night. So well, if any if anything, I became undepressed, but I became then. <laughs> I became even more sexual. Because I was actually having real sex now, like 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 a bandit. It was not a revenge sex. It was more the quality. So do you feel that because you had more sex, you were less shy, you put more emotion into the act of intimacy? Or do you feel that it was still the mindset of revenge or mindset of fulfilling that kind of void that you had for so many years? Great question. The so I, from, from really from 36 to 56, I went through a lot of girlfriends and a lot of callers, uh, concurrent. I would have a date with a girlfriend, tell her I love her, and the next night I'd be with a call girl at a hotel. Oh, geez, okay. So, so I did those two, sort of two trains that were on parallel tracks. I, I, I kept both of them going. But to answer your question, some of the girlfriends I had, I felt very deep connections to. And other, I mean, I had a deep connection with my wife when I met her. Okay? I was 25. Yeah, hey, you were young, yeah. She was 20, and she was adorable. Uh, I was attracted to everything about her. I just came to L.A. I was penniless. Her, her parents were millionaires. She was a cute girl. Her parents used to want me and dine me and, 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 and let me swim in their pool and have sex with their daughter. I'm like, I hit the jackpot, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm penniless. I had $6 to my name. So, so that was my wife. You know, that was more of a grateful love. I was grateful because she saved me. But later on, there were some girlfriends I felt very deep connections to. One, I was madly in love with. She was madly in love with me. The problem was, at that time, my kids were eight and six. And she said, Dan, she goes, I love you so much. She goes, I don't want to be a stepmother to your children. I was going to marry her doctor. Then I was going to ask her to marry me. We were in love, really. In love. She said, I can't be a stepmother. If you didn't have children, I'd marry you. Like, sorry. Sorry to trouble you. I have two children. Sorry. Sorry about that. So there were some women. I had very deep emotional connections. But to be honest with you, a lot of them, I just wanted to get laid. Just wanted to get laid. And when I was done getting laid, Three to six months, I'd say, hey, you're a nice girl. I like you. We have no, I, I would dump 
I once dumped a beautiful brunette. This is a true story. We went on a date. We had sex three times in my apartment, three times. After the third time, I actually said, you know, I don't think we have a future, so I, I don't want to see you anymore. What a prick I was. I was such wow. a okay. so mean. So mean. I really was. Very, and she goes, really? Can't we just have sex? I go, no, I don't think I'm Jerry. Like I'm Jerry. So, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. <laughs> wow. bored me. This woman bored me. Beautiful, amazing sex. I was bored. I, I kicked her out of my house. So, so when, my, how can people find your book, uh, uh, Dan? We're just going to have to wrap up. So, uh, okay. it sure. so for, uh, those of you who have carrots, uh -huh. true confessions of a Hollywood sex addict, Dan Harari rhymes with Ferrari. It's on Kindle and paperback on Amazon. And you have and, the book, uh, the one uh, that just got published as well, if you uh, can. Right, right. So, oh, sure. Okay. So, my first book came out last year, Flirting with Fame. It's about my Hollywood stories, if you want that one. My sex book is Carrots, about sex addiction and how I overcame it, which was going to SAA, really, SAA movie. Okay. My, my new book just came out. After they came, science fiction novel about aliens who come to Earth to save mankind. I'm a UFO buff, and this has been getting good reviews all over the world. So. Oh, wow. That is that is amazing, Dan. Well, on that note, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us and sharing your own personal experience about you know, addiction to sex and all. Now, the many recommendations you share to our loyal listeners will help them better navigate through these choppy waters. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode, and I'm also very excited about the many upcoming industry experts that we have scheduled for season five of the Love and Dating Group with Up to Den podcast, filled with very valuable tips and advice, just like the one that you listened today. My name is Dr. Dan Amzaleg, and you may all stay safe, sane, and smart when searching for that special someone. Stay tuned for our next episode.